Hello to you all and welcome to the Pitcast by us here at the Pit Crew Online. From the fans, for the fans. In today's episode, we will be discussing the Turkish Grand Prix, um, which was brought in as a last-minute replacement to the uh, F1 schedule as a result of the coronavirus pandemic, pan- postponing and cancelling a lot of races. Uh, a fan favourite by many, and it and it displayed an utterly incredible race. Um, so to discuss that, I am Luca. I will be your host today. First, and to discuss it with me, first up is our deputy editor Rob. Hey everyone, welcome to the Pitcast. Next up, we have Adam, who is our IndyCar correspondent. Hi, guys. Uh, what a race. Can't wait to get to uh, start talking about it. And making his first appearance on the Pitcast, our F1 writer, Joe. Hi there, guys. Okay, what right. Yeah. We've, uh, we've got a, a lot to, talk, to go through. Uh, first up, I do want to um, say in the last Pitcast, we got a bit carried away. It ended up having to be split between two episodes. Uh, I want to apologise to our uh, to our editor, Aaron, who had to sit through all that. He's probably like nodding his head, being like, "Yep, you guys really messed up." Um, I mean, the question was: was it was it quality over quantity, or was it quantity over quality? I mean, if it was quality, then fine. But <laughs> quality, but yeah, thankfully, uh, we probably we do have a lot to talk about. Uh, hopefully, we won't have to go that far again. Um, but f- first up, I want to talk about well. Um, it was a, it was a topic I wanted to discuss last week, but obviously too much time was spent. It's about the upcoming 2023 driver salary cap. Um, now I, I imagine there will be a varying amount of opinions on this, that because as of 2023, the set amount that a team can pay their driver is 30 million, no less. I mean, it's not like they're going to starve on that amount. Come on, let's be fair. Um, but then again, I think there's. Do there's you a lot of, shot with that? Do I what? Sorry, I didn't catch that. That's no, right, go, go through it. I, I, I was just saying, you, you can still do your weekly shop with that money, so oh, it's all oh, good. Oh, oh. <laughs> I did probably have people shopping for them. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I've had a lot of conflicted opinions about this because, um, you know, and it's not, it, again, it's not like they're, they're going to be struggling if they get paid 30 million. But at the same time, you get, like, I'm not a boxing fan myself, but apparently they get paid a hell of a lot more than even 100 million, uh, depending on how many people tune in to watch them. And because what you've got to think about is that these drivers are a, um, they are a commercial product as much as they are driving a car around a track. Because, I mean, Lewis Hamilton, he's looking to potentially be paid in his next contract upwards of 120 million. And you could argue maybe he doesn't deserve that. But at the same time, he's the most marketable driver in Formula One right now. Um, so I think, I personally think he would deserve it. So does anyone have any thoughts on that they want to they, they share? Adam? So uh, I'm a little bit confused as to what the aim is about the salary cap ultimately, because I don't know whether it's supposed to affect or it's supposed to help uh, the big teams who get sort of out of control salary caps or the smaller teams. Because from what I've seen in terms of the tier, in terms of the salary list of drivers, it tends to be like McLaren or downwards Toro Rosso, or sorry, uh, talking more 2019. Alpha Tauri. Uh, Williams, they, you know, their their salaries tend to be sort of around the five million to sort of ten million range, and apart from obviously Ricardo and Alonso coming in, which is going to push it right up. But certainly for the smaller teams, I don't think it's going to make too much of a big difference. Um, certainly, it's going to help sort of the 
the midfield teams such as Renault, who may be struggling at the moment in terms of finances, or McLaren, who we've seen have had to uh, sell a portion of their headquarters um, or put it up for sale um, to investors to make up uh, loose ends meet in the, in the coronavirus. Um, so I'm a little bit sort of like, is this supposed to help in a broad sense or is this supposed to help a targeted group? Um, I'm not entirely sure. And if that's the case, then one could argue the counter argument is, do you need, do these big teams need uh, something which levels the playing field um, in terms of it, it helps them more financially rather than the little teams like Williams or like, uh, or yeah, Alpha Tori who, who need it more. Do, do, do you know what I mean? It, it's yeah. sort of, yeah. I mean, my argument there is that the likes of Mercedes are able to afford um, the drivers like Hamilton. And I I just don't understand, like, when the budget cap for 2020, I think it's early as next year, I don't know if it got delayed, but the budget cap limiting teams to $145 million on car development, like, I think that they can probably, that would level the playing field more than than just paying their drivers because uh, the drivers are always going to remain a, 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 a like I said a commercial product and also they're gonna, like the ones who get the big money like a lot of people think that money is always just performance based but it's also market based because in MotoGP this is the only example I can think of Andrea Dovizioso when he was teammates with Jorge Lorenzo Lorenzo got more money because he's won like three championships more, more, more marketable but at that point Dovizioso was the one performing better so they were like oh we need to pay a rise um which you can argue for or against that but my point is is that there is more than just performance in place Vettel's getting paid more money than Leclerc even though Leclerc's trouncing him that's and, and it is uh, there is a lot to to go in there so does anyone have any Rob uh do you have any thoughts on that um yeah I think this this kind of news and this announcement of the, of the uh, salary cap is a bit almost like off-piste in a way. I don't really see why it's necessary. Um, obviously, you mentioned the, the budget cap, and I, I completely agree with that. Um, brings the teams closer together. It, it brings more competition. You know, Mercedes and Ferrari can't necessarily streak away as, as, as quickly, or Ferrari not this year, but you know, the likes of Mercedes can't streak away from the rest of the field as they have done this year. Um, what, my question really is, what does the salary cap do? Uh, what, what difference does it make to the sport? And the answer really is, doesn't really make a lot of difference um and to be honest i don't know what currency the 30 million is in but if it were in dollars for example there's only uh one driver and that is lewis hamilton who was earning over 30 million dollars a year um I'm, I'm really not sure what what this is aimed at and what this is supposed to do so um I, unless anybody could shed any more light on it I, I personally think it's almost a bit pointless in a way to to announce it Go on, Adam, what information do you have? Yeah, no, I, in fact, I would have argued to push it lower. So I think 30 million doesn't go far enough. And if you're going to implement a budget cap, make it 20 million or make it 50 million, if that, because like Rob said, it doesn't affect the majority of the drivers. It will affect one or two, if that, the world champions or the ones with the most commercial value. So it seems like a rule that is going to affect a very small amount of people. Um, and if anything, if what we've just described here is it's it's practically only going to affect Mercedes at the moment. And then, you know, um, if we think of it in terms of levelling the playing field, that means they're getting more money because they're not having to pay Hamilton. Yep. That is a good uh, point. More. So push it lower, push it down to 20 million. 
Yeah, I mean, if we remember back to when Honda withdrew from F1 in 2008 um, and became Braun, obviously Honda being a massive corporation and, and pulling, pulling out of F1, that means that Jensen Button, who was on $8 million a year at that point, um, he was inevitably not going to get the same amount of money being paid at Braun, especially when people were being made redundant. Obviously, in these trying times, you do have to think about Oh, and also with like the calendar as it is next year, 23 races, which is just absurd. They're, they're going to have to sort of start prioritizing what a lot of more important things. Um, Joe, do you have anything to add, add to that? Um, I think it's a good time to do it. I think there's so many young drivers now coming in, especially like how Haas is probably going to sign Mick or Ilo or um, what's the other one? Robert Schwartzman. Schwartzman, that's it. And it's just coming at a great time where the market's changing. There's more younger drivers who won't necessarily care about the sums, but would rather care about the seat. So I think it's coming at the right time. Especially with yeah, all that, the regulation changes as well. I think as Adam said, though, uh, you made a very good point, is that if you're going to do that, and I, I completely agree with you, Joe, on, on that sense, but why not put the budget cap lower then? Because 30 million is still a hell of a lot of money. So it's like, why not? If, if you're going to encourage that, encourage young drivers to come in and only care about the seat, why is it still so high? Because 30 million is still a ridiculous amount of money. So um, I think, as Adam said, you know, uh, Joe, yourself and Adam are both hit the nail on the head. Why not uh, decrease it even more? Because it just seems a bit of a, of a pointless change, really. I mean, you've also got to remember, like, a lot of these young drivers, Lando Norris, for example, apparently he's on 200 grand a year because he, uh, he's, on, he's, he's made it into Formula One, um, like, only last year. And he's, uh, he's not really... Like, there are a lot of drivers who are given that time and given that salary to then prove that they are worth more money and get paid more money. Um, so I'd, in the case of young drivers coming in, I think they'll just, I think a majority of them are happy to be there. Like Kamui Kobayashi, I know he's not a young driver, but back in 2014, he turned down an offer from Ferrari to be like their full-time GT driver and a simulator driver for the F1 team to go race for catering for free. And I'm just like, he must like F1 a lot because there's absolutely no way I would have done that personally. Um, so anyway, now we're going to be uh, moving on. We're going to be talking about the Turkish Grand Prix itself. Um, so, F1 hadn't been there since 2011. There hadn't been that much racing going on there in that time, which is an absolute travesty. I heard that it was being used as like a car storage place, which is just tragic. It's like using the Mona Lisa as a placement mat. And I just, it pains me to hear that. I think the last major race they had was a World Superbikes, um, 2013, I think. So yeah, it hasn't been used in a while. And as a result, they resurfaced it. And it was... Apparently, it was like sheet ice. We saw a lot of the, um, the practice cars just sliding off left, right, and center. And it was, it was dreadful. Um, but we did get, <laughs> I, I, I nearly forgot. Apparently, to get the grip up on the track over from Friday night to Saturday morning, a load of rental cars drove around it just to lay rubber. And then it got washed out anyway. So a lot, a lot of just, just got wasted there. Um, but I think the rain, it, this was like the first time it had been raining, like in any sort of significant session, whether that be qualifying or race, because it happened in both. And qualifying really drew up a surprise. Um, racing points, Lance Stroll took pole position. And I don't think 
nobody would have. I mean, we were sort of half expecting a um, a surprise pole sitter, which, considering every pole so far up until yesterday, was taken by Mercedes. Or you could argue that it's still being held by all Mercedes since it's just a pink Mercedes. Yeah, everyone will say that. Um, but uh, we we give Lance Stroll a lot of shtick, um, but he really did impress yesterday. So, uh, does anyone want to take the lead first on talking about Stroll's achievement? Yeah, I think some of the criticism that um, Lance Stroll gets is a little bit unfair at times because um, people talk about his money, and absolutely, he's got a lot of money. His dad has got a lot of money. He he very much you know paid for him to to probably be at Racing Point and, and probably at Williams before that as well. But you have to remember that Lance Stroll won in basically everything he did before he got to Formula One. And he's proven as well alongside a very, very uh, consistent and tough teammate, Sergio Perez, that he is able to compete at a very high level. And he proved it yesterday as well. So yes, he, he probably got the seat because of his money, but you can't deny the talent that that is there. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, um, I mean, I... When Lance Stroll first got into Formula One, he was obviously with Williams and he did get a podium at Baku. Um, and he was, a lot of people leveled a lot of criticism against him because of the fact that his dad undoubtedly paid for that Williams seat. And now a lot of drivers obviously need the money to get into like the junior formula and all that. But when it comes to F1, yeah, it, if there is a team that needs an extra injection of cash, whether that be Williams or, in the case of potentially Nikita Mazepin next year, Haas, um, there, is, there is no doubt that the money played a part there. Um, and a lot of people were saying that he had more talent than money, uh, myself included. Um, I also, uh, Speaking about that, the fact that he's won in every championship he's, he ever competed in, he won Italian F4 in 2014, the Toyota Racing Series in New Zealand in 2015, and then did European F3 that year. And then the following year, in 2016, he won the championship there, and then he made it to Formula 1. Um, it, it, there's no denying that it, the money is not going to steer the car for him. He has undoubtedly got some pace. Um, and he definitely proved it yes, yesterday. Um, he, he, has, he has the ability, and he, I think you could, you could argue that he should have probably have proven that last year, but I think this year he's definitely proven that he belongs on the grid. Um, who, who wants to go next, Adam? Yeah, um, I've certainly um, uh, I've certainly been a bit of a critic of Lance Stroll um, of late, especially since uh, Monza, where he got that podium. Pretty much since then, he's been on this downward spiral of form where um, people have basically flipped 180 on him. Um, people before Monza were singing his praises because he was P4 in the championship. He was level with Lando Norris for a very long time, competing for the P4 in the championship and suddenly um he's in obscurity now he's sort of p10 p11 in the standings wherever he is i'm not entirely sure but it's fairly low and it's quite a dramatic drop um one thing we can say about lance stroll is he has always been the better qualifier than the better racer and um it sort of plays out the way we sort of would expect at racing point because likewise when hulkenberg was paired with perez hulkenberg was the better qualifier um so perez has always sort of played catch up and been able to capitalize in the races in comparison to his teammates. So it does it didn't it didn't shock me, A, that Lance Stroll was quicker than Perez, but I don't think we can underplay the the achievement of being able to outperform Max Verstappen in the wet, in the form that we know Max Verstappen is on this season. That is quite something, and especially how highly we hold Verstappen this year, especially. 
um, yeah, um, he did an unbelievable job, frankly. Yeah, um, Joe actually said before we were recording that he wanted to touch upon the fact that Verstappen led every session. It was like if Verstappen was comparable to Bottas and then Stroll was like Hamilton in the sense of, um, of him, like, P1 in all sessions, but then Q3, he just misses out, which is pretty typical. Um, I will say, though, you said there that he's often been the better qualified than the race. Last year, it was the inverse of that because he was out of Q1 loads of times, but still made, scored points on many occasions. Um, but Stroll, another thing about him is that ever since Magello, he has been on that downward spiral. He, got, he was since diagnosed with the coronavirus. We only knew about it after the Eiffel GP the weekend. And um, he's been taking a bit of a psychological battering. He's had a lot of criticism laid his way, especially when he collided with both Verstappen and Norris uh, in separate incidents in, at the Portuguese Grand Prix in practice in the race. Um, a lot of criticism was laid against him, and I think rightfully so. But I think if, if the race today was a bit of a psychological blow to Stroll, I would hope that it's somewhat counterbalanced by the fact that he is formidable at, at, and he took pole position. He, he, he can't, you can't deny what he managed to do there. Um, so... Uh, Joe, have you got any thoughts on the matter? So, yeah, Lance Stroll. I mean, obviously everybody's going to be like dad's money, but also Lando's dad's money. I mean, I've, that's what I've heard, at least. I don't know if people can back me off on that. Yeah. Yes. So, so sorry, you know, like, put, put that aside. He just out-qualified Max Verstappen in the web. Max Verstappen is meant to be the masterclass in the web. But he managed to, Obviously, there was a bit of, like... Uh, like, it was unlucky for Verstappen to go into the pits and then change and all that. But you can't, like, Lance Stroll out-qualified Max Verstappen in the world. It's just yeah, it's amazing, incredible. you know? Yeah, and we should just yeah, put, we should, we should just put that on a T-shirt. You know I mean? Lance Stroll out-qualified Max Verstappen <laughs> in the web. <laughs> exactly. You could probably say it's payback for saying the rude comments about him, but apparently they have shaken the maid up about it. Um, I know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, going back to Lando, maybe, sorry, yeah, going back to Lando, maybe maybe he's looking at Lance now thinking, okay, he does actually have does learn. talent, but yeah, that's, that's a bit of a controversial topic. Yeah, well, I think the in, at the time, the incident, uh, there was obviously a lot of, um, like, what's the word I'm looking for, you know, when, like, you know, feelings are quite high, um, so I imagine, I imagine, well, Lando did obviously apologise for it later on. Um, but yeah, I, I cannot sing Lance Stroll's praises enough, and I never thought I'd say that. Um, he, But the race was a different story. Now, uh, first thing I want to touch upon, Vettel's opening lap. Now, we were talking about Raikkonen going from, what, 16th to 6th in Portimao. Um, Vettel didn't obviously make up that many positions, but it was still formidable, the fact that he went from... I think 11th to about 4th on the opening lap. And uh, in the end, he did score a podium, uh, albeit because of Leclerc's error. Not, not to take anything away from Vettel there. He drove incredibly. Um, now, I, I've not been the biggest Vettel fan, but I will concede that when he does formidably, he, he, he deserves it. Uh, like Spain this year, he took soft tyres like 40-odd laps. And in this race, he... He, he, it was probably the best race of Vettel's 2020 season. Not that that's a high bar to really hit because this year has been a bit terrible. But he definitely 
he definitely got a result that I think was worthy of his uh, his struggles. Um, does anyone want to take that first? Who wants to go first on that? Rob? Um, yeah, I think, well, he, he got the podium in spite of yet another Ferrari mistake as well in, in the post. You know, I remember back um, towards the end of the Grand Prix, yep. they brought him in and it was uh, the same as Imola, another horrible, horrible pit stop. And he still managed to get the podium at the end, obviously, by virtue of of, um, of Charles making that mistake when he was trying to get P2. Um, he's taken a battering this year. Uh, mentally, it, it, yesterday was the first time in eleven races that he's out qualified Leclerc, and um, just generally, obviously, there's been all these these conspiracy theories about Ferrari, um, kind of altering the car to, <clears throat> excuse me, altering the car to uh, Leclerc's liking and and against Vettel's liking, and you know, I, I don't want to play into that too much because we don't know the inside story, but uh, it's it's been tough for him, you know. Leclerc's out outraced him, out qualified him a lot, you know. And whenever people think of Ferrari this year, they think of how well Leclerc's doing to get that car um, to where he's got it, and Vettel's really fallen out of that picture. So today was really nice. It was a reminder of almost like the Sebastian of old, you know, a, a really good race. He's, he's quick, showed his pace in the wet today, and um, I'm really happy for him. It was a great, great result and one that he really needed, particularly going into uh, his his first year with Aston Martin next year. So. Um, yeah, really pleased for him, and he, he did an amazing job today. Uh, speaking of uh, Aston Martin, we can't obviously um, ignore the fact that Sergio Perez got his his best result since. Oh, see Adam celebrating. He's got. Do you just like the Spanish speaking drivers by any chance, Adam? Because I, I know just, you're a big science fan. I just like drivers who get snubbed for literally no reason for years of their career and then get overlooked and then suddenly prove people wrong. I just love it. I, it's just it's vindication for all the years of Perez haters who just completely ignored his Sauber years, who completely ignored his Force India years, where he was picking up his those those uh, obscure podiums and those amazing results where. He was always winning the Formula 1.5 championship. Like, it, it, he's a brilliant driver, and he always has been. And there was even talk at one point that he would have, he was in line for a Ferrari drive. This is how good this, this driver is. And I, I just, I, I'm just so happy for him. I don't want to take up all the time talking about him. But the fact that um, he came from uh, being uh, thrown out of the team uh, he came from a place where uh, he was overlooked by the younger, more uh, the, the the more in favour driver. He got out qualified on Saturday, but on Sunday he keeps on proving that is where his forte is. Um, and he managed to hold off Leclerc and and Vettel for the end, which um, to to get P two, uh, which is one of the highest uh, results for a midfield driver. Only Signs and Gasly have have gotten higher this year. Um, so. And he's P4 in the standings. That is it P4? He is P4 in the standings now. I don't know. I didn't check. I think he is. Which, for someone who's been missing for COVID um, yep. and has had many other... Uh, the, the odd bit of bad luck here and there which has hampered his results, that is absolutely stunning when you think he's up against the likes of Ricardo, the likes of Leclerc, the likes of Sainz, Gasly, Norris. He has been the one to come out on top. Um, yeah, I'm going to let someone else take the rein. I, brilliant, brilliant race. Yeah, he is fourth in the championship. He's on exactly 100 points now, incidentally. So, um, yeah, I, I completely agree with Adam because 2011-2012 um, were 
really great breakout yes particularly 2012 when he got those podiums Malaysia I always think back I always look back to that and um, I always also for some reason look back at that with a bit of regret not only because of the little mistake that he made but also when his team told him to to kind of back off and just take second place and I thought no go for the win um, but uh, and then he had that year at McLaren where actually a lot of the time you know he was matching Jensen but just a few mistakes here and there and people write them off and that unfortunately is kind of the the modern life of an athlete where you go through a bit of a, a rough patch and people will completely write you off for the rest of your career but um yeah completely agree it's it's a travesty that he's not got a drive for next year it doesn't make any sense because he's easily one of the best on the grid um I think he would fully deserve for example if he did get that Red Bull drive for next year there would be no complaints from me so um it's crazy that this guy hasn't got a drive for 2021. Um, he would fully deserve it. And today was another shining example of, of Perez's sometimes, maybe not necessarily imperious, but you know, definitely huge talent. Yeah. And the fact, yeah, him and Holkenberg, probably two of the strongest midfield drivers I've seen in many years. And it's like, why on earth are these drivers struggling? Like Holkenberg, a bit understandable, considering he doesn't have huge backing behind him. But Perez, you would think Haas or any other drivers like that, drivers, team, sorry, like that would, it would just pounce at him at the first opportunity because he's a formidable driver and he's got money from like Carlos Slim or whatever his name is. Although apparently Gene Haas and Carlos Slim aren't particularly friendly with each other. But I would hope they can put that behind them because Perez deserves a bloody drive. Oh, this is getting me all worked up. Um, Joe, I'm going to let you take, take the lead on this one in regards to Perez. Um, I mean, I can only add, like, you guys have perfectly explained it. Does he have an opportunity in IndyCar, maybe, if he's not to get a seat? I hope he gets a seat. Does I'll, he let have Adam, a chance? So, I'll let Adam so talk about that. There was talk of McLaren expanding their entry to a three-car yeah. entry. However, it's, it's a little bit too far gone in the year for that to realistically happen. And there's a lot of drives that have been taken, such as the Chip Ganassi and the Penske drives, who we've seen have gone to the likes of um, uh, Alex Palau and uh, and and um, obviously Scott McLaughlin coming in from Super Australian Supercars. So realistically, right now the only cars that are available are the AJ Foyt cars, where Tony Kanaan's just left, and sort of yeah, those sort of midfield, sort of lower end cars, which he would be a valuable contribute he would bring valuable money he would bring valuable experience to those teams but like like i said it's a bit too late in the year for those deals to be done and i i think he's also conceded that in interviews he's himself saying that sabbatical is increasingly likely because if the team had say done this around spa time he might have had the time to bring in more sponsors and bring in uh, and get those deals underway it's a crying shame yeah it was a sad how he actually got told it as well wasn't it like very abrupt and he didn't know it was happening. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, sure, it was by text message on it that he got told he was leaving. Um, I think, yeah. I think really? um, his, his team boss just texted him and said that you're not going to be part of the team next year, um, which is a shocking way to treat, as I say, a, a really talented driver like, like Sergio Perez. Um, there you go. The first sniffing opportunity Perez has at a front of the field car, potentially, like going into next year, and he's ousted. I mean... Yeah, Vettel obviously coming in. Stroll, even though we've been singing his praises, we all know the reason he mainly stayed there because, I mean, Str Perez said himself he wouldn't want to kick out his own son uh, from an F1 team that he owned. So it's, it's a crying shame. I do pray that we eventually find out that, apparently, that Haas have 
ousted Nikita Mazepin's $7.1 billion father and instead have taken on Perez because he deserves an F1 seat. Um, someone who, a few drivers who perhaps, you know, a lot of people will probably argue don't deserve their place. We've got to talk about Valtteri Bottas. What a shocker. He, he, he spun probably more times in that race than Vettel throughout the whole season. And Vettel's the one we all do the Spinala meme about, don't we? So um, Bottas finished out of the points. Obviously, we all know what, the, what that means at the end, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but it is getting frustrating now. Like Bottas obviously was holding his own against Hamilton in the last race. Um, and then Hamilton probably got a bit lucky with the VSC, even though he could have actually have probably gotten out even without the VSC ahead of Bottas the way he was going. But regardless, he's but we also always say you're only as good as your last race. And if we're going by that amount, Bottas probably is very low on people's opinion list. Um, uh, who wants to go first? I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> Look, it's it's quite strange, isn't it? Going into the weekend, um, Lewis was actually the one who was complaining quite a lot about the track surface and about how difficult it was to drive. And it was Bottas who, every time he came out to interview, he basically was just, he was like, oh, it's fun out there. It's brilliant. I love it. You know, he was saying how he was really feeling the, 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 uh, the uh, track conditions. Um, so you'd have expected him to at least played a part in this race. And it couldn't have been any more different. And um. And I, it, it's probably um, a telling sign that I didn't notice his race at all and therefore probably don't have a lot of stuff to say about his race other than the fact that he didn't make up a lot of places on the start. Um, does anyone know what side of the track I, he started on? Because we, we did see at the start, didn't we, that there was a wet part of the track and a dry part of the track. All I know is, is that he spun once on his own when he was behind Orcon, who got clipped by Ricardo. Uh, this, at turn one, and then going into turn nine, he and Orcon had another co- had a collision, and that was to sort of set a precedent. Well, may- maybe that was uh, frustration playing out. Maybe he knew that he had to make some very audacious overtakes, or he knew he had to be in the fight to take the championship on, and maybe that got to him. Um, we'll never know ultimately what the reason was, but um, part of me does think that's a, that was a bit of a fluke result. Um, Maybe fluke's the wrong word. Maybe a, a, an outlier. A reverse fluke. Yeah, uh, a reverse fluke result. What, <laughs> what does that mean? Um, a weird result for Bottas. I, I think he's better than that, actually. Um, I think we've seen before that he's quite capable of being the wingman to Hamilton and sort of being in that position to either scoop up some points um, or at least play second fiddle to Hamilton wherever he needs to. And I don't think that's entirely representative of his pace. Um, once again... I'm trying to stick up for the guys who are, who've, ha- who've had success in the past. Bottas was arguably one of the best drivers on the grid when he was with, with Williams, uh, when he won those podiums. So he is good. Um, I don't think we, can, we can't say he's not good because he's in a blooming Mercedes, for crying out loud. Um, but he definitely didn't paint himself in good light today. And I think he just gotta, he's just got to take this season uh, with a pinch of salt. He's got to dust himself down go and take another sabbatical in, in, in Finland and do some, do some cycling to the Russian border again, get himself in the right frame of mind and just go again. There's nothing else you can do, is there? I mean, it, you're up against some of the best drivers in the world, such as Lewis Hamilton, and this is going to happen. Um, there's not much more to say more than that. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, we, there's always this argument. Uh, a few drivers like the likes of Verstappen and Norris have gone on record, obviously saying that Hamilton's achievements aren't as notable because he only has like one or two drivers to beat. And um, obviously a few people have gone back on that. But the, the part that I feel like isn't exactly a, a criticism laid at Hamilton's door is the fact that you can have drivers who are at the threshold to win in a Mercedes, but not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be able to beat Hamilton. Like, I think in the entirety of Hamilton's career, he's only been beaten twice in a car racing season, that being 2011, when Jensen Button just trounced him, and then Nico Rosberg, who just held on um, to, to win the championship by about five points when Hamilton had all his reliability problems. Not to say that Rosberg only won it because of that, of course. You can't, you can't, you can't deny that. But it, it is a case now that, yeah, Hamilton, Hamilton winning these championships, he's in the best car. He's got this, that. Plenty of people could win that car. Who could honestly, and I put this to, I'll put this to Joe, okay? So, so get ready on the unmute button. Who could we honestly say is at the level that we could potentially, that if they were teammates of Hamilton, they could actually hold their own in a ch ch championship battle. You know what? I thought I had an answer. I thought I'd pick out a driver right now, but, and maybe I'm a bit biased because I am a big Lewis Hamilton fan, but I don't think there, are any, there is anybody who can beat what, like looking at what Lewis Hamilton has achieved against teammates, like you said, and how he does races now with, with uh, experience in mind, like, like um, today with the 2007 Chinese Grand Prix, didn't go into the pits. You know, like I'm pretty sure anybody else would go into the pits and follow team orders like Bottas does quite a lot. Um, I don't think there is anybody, in my opinion. You could, you could probably say maybe like, I, I would love to see what Verstappen could do against Hamilton in, as a as team. Yeah. It probably won't ever happen. But it is still like that hypothetical that I keep thinking about. Like, what, what, what would happen? Maybe even like he uh, beat Alonso in his first year as a rookie. Um, so maybe people who say Alonso could beat Hamilton in a Mercedes, maybe or they're maybe, a bit gone. Maybe Charles Leclerc. Maybe. I, I, well, I think Charles Leclerc is. I think Charles Leclerc could actually be better than Max Verstappen in the future. That's a bold that, statement. I um, am going to hold you to that because I actually okay, want, I, I want that. to see it happen. Okay, okay. Right, if it doesn't happen, you pay, you, uh, pay up money. Uh, go on. <laughs> go on, Adam. Yeah, I just want to quickly go back to Bottas while, while we were just there. And I just put something in the chat on our Zoom call where I just said, looking back to Germany 2019, where we had another wet race, that was another opportunity in the wet where Bottas, uh, Bottas bottled it by spinning. Um, so are we looking at a driver who maybe isn't as adept in the wet as we thought? Maybe he just doesn't, he, he isn't as good. in. Those you would conditions. think, though, being Finnish, that he would be used to all these conditions. But then again, the, the, then again, maybe that's snow. Maybe, we're, maybe he doesn't have quite the, the, the damp drought temperatures, the muggy temperatures that we are acclimatised to in the UK. Maybe his is more ice than, than, than dampness. <laughs> I don't know. but hmm. um, it, There's something to think about, though. Is there an argument that he's he's not the wet weather driver that we all assumed he was? Uh, I don't know. I do like how you put coincidence in there. So I just think of the Incredibles meme, you know, the teacher. Coincidence? I think not. 
Um, Rob, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I, I think I'm going to be sort. I'm going to go sort of to Adam's side and, and try and defend him as, as much as I possibly can. One thing you have to credit is uh, is 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 the mental aspect of, of Valtteri Bottas. I think today was was testament to, to how strong he is mentally because it's it's not a secret. You know, Hamilton has beaten him, uh, you know, pretty badly this year. Um, but if you look at, you know, Adam mentioned Germany 2019 and, and Lewis, uh, after one of his spins, said, retire the car. Uh, Valtteri just kept going. You know, he, he just kept driving to the end. He didn't give up. Um, you know, he, he obviously wanted to get something out of the race, but um, it's testament to, to his, I guess, his team spirit as well. You know, he wanted to get the car to the end for the team as well as, uh, as, well as for himself. Um, and he, he, you know, had no hesitation in going over to Lewis after the race also and congratulating him on, on his seventh championship, which obviously we'll, we'll come on to in a bit. Um, so I think you have, you have to credit him there. But for sure, you know, the last couple of wet races, he's, um, he's kind of blown it really. Um, but yeah, one thing you kind of have to mention as well is that it's unfortunate that he's driving at Mercedes at a time when Lewis Hamilton is there because you probably have to probably admit that at least two of the last kind of three, four seasons probably would have won the championship if he would have had a, say, a lesser teammate than Lewis Hamilton. That's no disrespect to anybody else, but Lewis Hamilton is a generational talent and it's a shame for Valtteri that he's had to come up against him um, during his time at Mercedes. Yep. Um, so, which it, that is a good segue because as much um, as much as I would like to, well, I've, I've sang his praises constantly um, throughout the, the these uh, Pitcast debriefs, um, but Hamilton, honestly, th- this race, I, I think this this uh, this is sort of like almost fairy tale. Can you stop? Ch- <laughs> I've got the chat open, and you you lot keep distracting me. <laughs> um, anyway, what was I saying? Yeah, so how this is a fairy tale almost. Two thousand six, Lewis Hamilton, in the sprint race for the GP two event, sport in the Turkish Grand Prix, he went for a radical setup which gave him like Monza style aerodynamics. And he spun multiple times and was down in like 18th on, and climbed through the field on more than one occasion, ended up finishing second, which was um, pivotal in his uh, championship battle with Nelson Piquet Jr., which he did end up winning. Um, and now that this ends up being the venue that he puts in one of the, I think one of the best drives of his career. And that's saying a lot because there's 94 to pick from and probably even more even uh, out of the ones he didn't even win. But he ended up winning this race in the most odd, like the the circumstances surrounding it. Like we saw Lance Stroll leading the majority of this race, and obviously commiserations to him. He ended up finishing ninth after his tyres were graining. But Hamilton was able to hold on on those t- intermediates, which almost looked like there were slicks at the end of it, winning by what like. 25, 30 seconds or something. No, that, I, that might be a bit much, but something along those lines. Uh, everyone obviously being all like, oh, it's boring because Hamilton's winning. That race wasn't boring. It just so happened to be Hamilton ended up winning it. And it is, I, I run out of superlatives when I talk about Hamilton because he he's just breaking records constantly. He is, the, I, I would say, I know there's the argument to be made, greatest of all time. Schumacher was better, this, that, and the other. But, uh, yeah, Hamilton, seventh championship, equal to Schumacher now, and he's not he's not stopping. So 
I'm going to hand this over to the guy who proclaims himself as a Lewis Hamilton fanboy, uh, Joe. Happy. So happy. Mm. I knew um, you would be. Yeah. I mean, obviously, a couple tears, admittedly. Um, you know, obviously, there's going to be some bitter people saying, I, I, don't, I don't think this is the time to be talking about is he the greatest of all time compared to the different eras. I think this is a time to appreciate what we have in the sport right now. You know, you got to look at it as he's just matched Michael Schumacher, the unthinkable. And um, yeah, uh, it's just incredible. And I hope he gets like some credibility in the UK for this because I don't think he has over the years. And, you know, I, f- I feel like there should be more around. Yeah, indeed. Um, I would say that because a lot of people always sort of throw the whole oh, he doesn't live in Britain, therefore we shouldn't celebrate him. Well, Jensen Button didn't, didn't, doesn't live in Britain either. Does that mean we don't celebrate him? And the fact that we obviously had that whole tax um, uh, controversy because uh, you know, he like lives in Monaco, which doesn't pay tax. And we're like, well, Jackie Stewart lived in Switzerland for a long time. He's got a knighthood. Yeah. So, yeah, there are some people who just, he can't, he can't win with, but he's obviously winning plenty of other ways. <laughs> we don't, I don't even need to say that. Uh, Adam, you like you wanted to say something. Yeah, so we did touch upon um, sort of our thoughts on when Hamilton broke the win record about how that meant to us. So um, for anyone who listened to that, it won't be a surprise how much this means to to all of us, really. Um, I I just think that this win was arguably some of his was one of his best, especially in this era. Um, he he fought hard in the most tricky conditions. In fact, that was probably the most Hamilton-esque win it could have been. Like that that was sort of Hamilton 08, Hamilton 07 uh, that we saw today, but better because he learned from the, the mistakes which he had to iron out through the years and make it the perfect race in order to capitalize on it. And he didn't crucially pit at the last possible minute, um, which could have could have cost him the race. Arguably it might not have. But there's always that possibility. Could he have had a slow pit stop? Could he have had a really slow outlap? Could he have lost it going into or out of the pits? We don't know. But what was important was that he learned from the mistakes of the past to make the right call, to keep it on the track, and then to, and to win. And that shows a level of maturity as well as the speed uh, from Lewis Hamilton, which combined makes ultimately just one of the greatest races of this current generation. And what I'm currently wrestling with at the moment is is Lewis Hamilton right now um, the greatest uh, the greatest British sportsman of all time or even past that has he transcended British sportsmen is, is, he, is he one of the greatest worldwide sportsmen of all time because I personally think he is from both perspectives from motorsport perspective and also from his uh, social ac- uh, activism and his campaigning outside of the sport I think combine those two together at the moment and you create someone who's going to have a legacy that transcends this sport, that reaches millions and billions of people across the world and, and has a lasting legacy. Um, I personally think he's one of the most, the most accomplished and one of the best sportsmen in the world. Um, and I don't know if any of you agree with that, but I certainly think he's on the list. Yep. <laughs> I had a feeling Joel would agree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can just like see what he's created around him. He's got Angela, he's got Bono, he's got Toto, and then like the pictures of him. Don't forget Roscoe. Yeah, oh, yep, just, just Roscoe. 
Little Roscoe and his uh, championship t-shirt, brilliant scenes. <laughs> I mean, he's just created something in the sport, you know, the, the buzz around it. Obviously, you know, he's, he's won a lot. He's, he's won every race. People will say it's boring. I mean, some of these people don't actually watch the race, which is the problem. And, you know, if, if you, like, you can't say it's boring when a team has managed to build like Mercedes and didn't wasn't the best team and when I, he I went lost. there. When he went there, exactly. Like and he didn't he didn't know he was going to end up being the best of all. Like um, Mercedes was going to be like this. In fact, like um, he got uh, told by Nicky Lauda to come over to Mercedes, and like he was bought um, from one Dennis and everything like that. He didn't know he was going to be in a team that would like win seven world championships but not to say like his team his car was the only thing that made him win it he has created something that's just phenomenal in sport a team he's created a team and it's amazing and like his influence has made this car as well yes um it should also be worth noting that he actually if i'm not mistaken and we'll let rob take the lead on this one um he went 50 laps on those intermediates 50 laps and obviously no surprise coming to see them at the end but we were always talking about how Hamilton's a very aggressive driver and also like he takes too much out of his tyres but you have to be a special driver to be able to take intermediates that that distance and especially also well it was probably the best thing to not go pit because Bottas went on the inters a bit near the end and they won't particularly warning the Mercedes doesn't really sort of like dig into its tires so they weren't able to get temperature up and maybe the warnings were the best way to go and obviously Hamilton held on right to the very end and and we uh, saw with Lance oh. Stroll when he pitted we saw what happened to his tires yes well. yeah I'm gonna let Rob speak because I feel like we're neglecting him a little bit <laughs> um that's all right it's a, it's a good conversation you guys are having um yeah, his intermediates were basically slicks at the end. You saw how smooth those tyres were when he brought the car into Park Fermi. Um, but absolutely, you're all spot on. It's, uh, it, it, it just shows and displays how much of an impressive driver he is that he was able to take those tyres that long. And Adam spoke about that experience that, that he got from 2007, for example, when he you know, could have brought the car into the pits, but he didn't. All those little things that he's learned in his career, um, you know, for example, the horror that he had in 2011, you know, all those experiences come into play. And and um, and and Joe was spot on as well when he when he said that when he went to Mercedes, he was going from a quicker McLaren team. He didn't know what was going to happen. And people say it's boring, but if you cannot see the beauty of the dynasty that he and Mercedes have created, I can't help you. I can't help you if you can't see it. Then that's your problem. Um, and I, I completely agree as well. Wholeheartedly. With, with the point of him as a, as a racing driver, uh, but also as, as a person off the track. And it's fun to have this debate with my mum after the race as well. And I, I got a bit got a bit annoyed. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like people criticise him off the track. You know, they say, oh, he's avoided tax in the past. He's done this. He's done that. Has he made some mistakes off the track? Yeah, he has. And some of them have been quite public. But we've all done things that would make us, you know, uh, a bit... I don't know. I can't Correct. really think oh. of the word. Yeah. Um, but because Lewis Hamilton's famous and he's one of the most famous sportsmen in the world now, that unfortunately comes back to him twice as hard or 10 times as hard as it comes back to us. Um, I think people try very hard 
these days, sadly, to see the negatives in people. And actually, even though people make mistakes, it doesn't make them a bad person. And um, unfortunately, just, you know, people do, yeah, they, they just try so hard to, to just be driven by this negativity, whereas actually you can see the positive changes. You know, who's the one leading the campaign against inequality? Who's the one leading the campaign about, you know, in the future, making sure that motorsport is as uh, clean as it possibly can be for the environment? Lewis Hamilton is doing all of that, but people don't want to see that because it doesn't fit their agenda. But if you look at what he's done on and off the track, you can't, you know, you can fault him, but you can't say that he's not a legend of the sport. Indeed. Um, I just want to take this moment to let everyone know that there is an article that was written by Adam, um, which was published a couple of weeks ago now. But I do think it's worth reading, especially now, because it really does accurately depict the brilliance of what Hamilton has achieved this year. In the year that he will, he's equaled Michael Schumacher, he has become, he's transcended motorsport. And this obviously sounds like I'm t- thinking of him as some kind of guru. No, it's more the fact that this sport is so fundamentally reliant upon backward countries and they've tried, uh, they have obviously tried to appease Hamilton, you know, with, um, with the, like the movements like end racism and we racist one, but kind of going back, going back to bite them in the bum a little bit, because, you know, we've, we've seen that they're going to Saudi Arabia next year, which I think is a huge step backwards. And um, I think if Hamilton wasn't there, this wouldn't be be spoken about. And I think Hamilton's almost becoming bigger than F1. It's like a couple of years ago, I remember Valentino Rossi, um, because as we know, he's sort of like bigger than MotoGP. He had a video game come out, uh, which was sort of like in place of that year's MotoGP game. Um, So I think Hamilton is becoming such a big brand now that I reckon he will transcend Formula One, um, probably to the dismay of many people, I reckon. Um, we 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 should probably stop because at this point we do look like we're on our knees just opening our mouths like go on Lewis yeah. <laughs> I don't obviously don't want to do that but yeah formidable year for Hamilton 7th championship and did it in the, mo- in the best way possible greatest of all time that's debatable of course it would be a debate that will never stop uh, so on that note it is time to uh, end the debrief but before I do before I do um, okay, actually, I'll, I'll hold off on that. I want to ask everyone what, who their driver of the day was. So, uh, yes, Adam first, since he looks so well enthusiastic. I think you know who I'm going to say, because you you should know by this point who I... Pierre Gasly. No, screw <laughs> you. But, uh, you, you know, just Carlos Sainz, okay? Even though, admittedly, I'm a fan, leaving Saturday... Um, or leaving, uh, leaving the couch on Saturday with the feeling of dread for today, thinking, oh my gosh, what can he do from that far back? But then I thought back to the races like Brazil 2019, where he fought back from the podium from P20, or 2019 Austria, where he fought back from basically that far back all the way to P7 or P8, whatever it was. Um, he's sometimes capable of these drives, and he's actually really good in the wet, a bit sort of underestimated, uh, more so. Brazil 2016 was a noticeable race in the wet where he did absolutely fantastically. Um, and he got a P5 in Germany 2019 in the wet after spinning, admittedly, but he still came back and finished a very respectable P5. Mm-hmm. And he did exactly the same thing today where he got a magnificent start because I actually think that Carlos Sainz has 
uh, one of the best reactions off the line uh, in the of the whole grid. He's some he pretty much eighty uh, percent of the time makes up a great deal of positions off the line in every race. He's fantastic at that. Um, but he basically made his way up from P14 all the way up to P5 and was within a whisker of a podium. Maybe, I mean, that, that's debatable. I don't think he would have got a podium because we saw how difficult it was to overtake. But he was on the gearbox of Leclerc going into that, going into that finish line. And from P14 on the grid, I just can't sing his praises enough because I thought that was an absolutely faultless drive from him. Um, and quite deserving because from the start of the season up until, a, I'd say, Spain, he had the most ridiculous bad luck out of any yeah. driver. It, it, was, it was actually getting ridiculous. He had multiple eight-second, ten-second pit stops at Styria and Budapest, tyre blowouts in P4 at Silverstone, uh, engine blowouts at Spa, so many issues that compounded his season that left him about 20, 30 points back from his nearest rivals, which um, was not deserved. So the fact that he is where he is now and he's been able to fight back and he got a brilliant P5 today, I think, for me, that's that's my driver of the day. I think and breathe. You, you spoke a lot there. I, I want to talk, aren't I? Um, uh, Joe, do you want to go next? Who would you go for? Um, I've, I've actually just been trying to find this difficult, or I've been finding this difficult. You want me to come back to you? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I mean, okay. I, I, like, just a quick point. There were so many people in contention for the win. I was going to say Alex yes. Albon. I was just about to say Alex Albon. But I feel like Sebastian Vettel, even though like it's the obvious choice, he, he was voted driver of the day. Sebastian Vettel to get on the podium in front of Charles Leclerc. Obviously, it was a, a mistake by, Char by Charles at the end. Mm. But to get on the podium in what has been a terrible season for Sebastian was just brilliant. It was just a brilliant feat. And um, yeah. I think so, I mean, he's, he's my driver of the day. So that's, so that's your pick then? I'll, I'll come back with some other points if I find any, but I think for me, Sebastian, yeah. Okay. Uh, what about you then, Rob? Uh, yeah, as good as Lewis Hamilton's drive was, I have to agree with Joe. It was Sebastian. He's been through such a tough time, not only this year, but the last couple of years. And to see him on the podium in a race like that, um, I know it means a lot to him. And it actually, as a fan, means, as a, as a fan of the sport, I'm not even a massive metal fan, but just as a fan of the sport, it, it was so, so good to see that because um, I was rooting for him to, to get a podium. He, he deserves it after what he's been through. So, yeah, Sebastian for me. Yeah, even I, as someone who isn't a big Vettel fan, have to say how it is, and that was phenomenal of him. Um, have you had any time to think there, Joe? You didn't really have a lot of time, I'm afraid. Um, how did Sebastian start the race? Uh, he put it into first gear. He drove off the line. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, yeah, that that was like a stupid question, but no, it wasn't. It was just me being a smart ass. Yeah, but like, I, but I yeah, he went from how... he went from eleventh to fourth on the first yeah. lap. That, that's like, what that, incredible that. You know, there you go. That's that's one of my points. But yeah, very well then. So I'll have to. I have to. Well, it's the easy choice to say Hamilton, of course, because of how he was able to sort of like. You know, just pull away on the on those tyres in the in the last few laps and going fifty laps. It is a toss up between him and Vettel for me. Um, he was Vettel again. Yeah, uh, I I was marvelled by by his performance. And um, so that again, 
because uh, I because I always forget it every week, but that does come to the end of the debrief. Um, but I do want to take this moment to, we're crying out loud, Joe. What is it? <laughs> Just quickly, his his comments at the end. His comments at the end to Lewis was. Great. Oh, go on. Yes. Yes. Um, how he was. I I can't remember exactly, but he was. Just saying, like, he's an outstanding driver. Um, we're all looking at you in this era. Yeah, he, he, and said, obviously, he, said, um, he said you're making history. I think he said yeah, something. Yeah, making like history. That. And obviously, he's like, oh, yeah, Michael Schumacher is my idol. But he, he acknowledges this. Uh, that's my only point. He's a yeah. yeah. We're, we're like a, a rock band that is doing its final tour. And then it's just like one more song. <laughs> um, I do want to take this moment to uh, to thank the people who have been listening to our debrief throughout the year. We still have at least three more, uh, the Bahrain, the Sakir, and Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Um, but I do want to take this moment to acknowledge that the, the Picker Online is not just F1. Uh, you would be f- mistaken for thinking that if this is our your only avenue into the Picker Online. We are we do discuss, we have discussed the Indy 500. Um, before the F1 season began, we did a lot of, I think we did, Rob did an interview with uh, um, Daniel Ricciardo's personal trainer. Is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, Michael Italiano. I yes. yes. So uh, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, and I, 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 can't, I think it was James who interviewed Sabre Cook, the W Series driver, as well. Um, so going into um, 2021, uh, we are looking to expand our uh, pitcast talking points, of course, because I don't want it to just be F1 all the time. Um, in the next couple of uh, weeks, you will be here, hearing a British Touring Car Season Review a uh, pitcast with our editor Aaron, who is our BTTC editor. Um, we've also planned on a, a final, a, a second episode with the Crew on Two team uh, after the Portuguese Grand Prix for MotoGP next week. Uh, we want to be able to provide an avenue into uh, racing for all kinds of motorsport, not just Formula One. And um, hopefully next year, when the seasons aren't so blooming condensed together the way they have been, We'll be able to expand our horizons and we do hope that every single person here in this will be inclined to li- to listen to our to what we plan on doing next year so uh thank you very much uh for listening thank you to my um to my guests here i don't know if guess is the right word um before we go uh, i just want to ask if anyone wants to publicize their social medias so um adam why don't you go first yeah uh you can find me on twitter at uh, Wheeler underscore deals. Thank you. Um, Rob, do you want to go next? Uh, yeah, at Kershaw16Rob on Twitter. Okay, brilliant. And uh, Joe, how about you? Okay, uh, Joe underscore P- P44 on Twitter. And obviously 44. Just ignore that. No, 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 no. We, we won't let you get away with that one. 44, because you're a Hamilton fanboy. We get it. <laughs> Okay, and I am Red Luca 5-6. Five, 5-6 six. Five, six isn't the number of my favourite driver because none of my favourite drivers race 56. Um, yeah, so uh, thank you very much for listening again. Uh, you, we will be doing another debrief, as I said, for the Bahrain Grand Prix on November 29th. Uh, so until then, we will see you out on track.